As many of the fellows are beginning to figure out, slowly but surely, today is Mother's Day. <laughs> A day set aside to recognize and honor moms and grandmas for the significant role that they have in their families and also in our society. It's also an opportunity for me to share a carefully selected story or two <laughs> that commemorates such a special occasion. <clears throat> the first is a relatively true story that you may have heard of recently concerning the world's oldest and newest mom. I couldn't help but think of that as we were given flowers away earlier. According to the report, with the help of a fertility specialist, a 65-year-old woman had a baby girl and all of her relatives and friends couldn't wait to come and visit and meet the newest member of their family. When they asked to see the baby, the 65-year-old new mom answered and said, not just yet. A Little later, they wanted to see the baby again and said, can we see the baby? And they said, she said, not right at this moment. Finally, they said, well, when can we see the baby? And the mother says, well, when the baby cries. And they said, oh, she's taking a nap? She said, no. Well, then why do we have to wait till the baby cries? And the new mom said, because I forgot where I put her. <laughs> That's not hard to believe. You know. All right, well, don't, don't quit. Don't quit on me, ladies. Hang on. I got, I, here's one for you. This one's just for the, 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 the ladies to enjoy. This is my Mother's Day gift to all of you. Once upon a time, the story goes, a beautiful, independent, self-assured princess happened upon a frog in a pond. The frog said to the princess, I was once a handsome prince until an evil witch put a spell on me. One kiss from you, and I will turn back into a prince. And then we can marry and move into the castle with my mom. And you can prepare my meals, clean my clothes, bear my children, live to meet all my needs, and forever feel happy doing so. <laughs> that night, while the princess dined on frog legs, she kept laughing <laughs> and saying to herself, I don't think so. Now, the reason that story is funny, at least to me, is that it identifies the stereotype of what some believe women are supposed to do, and at the same time, it also is dangerous because, like all extremes, it also distorts responsibilities that may be biblically sound. And while each of us may have our own opinions as to what we believe should be the responsibilities of women, the one viewpoint that cannot be ignored is what God has to say on this subject. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me as we focus on this special day, God's Word to Women, as found in Titus, the second chapter, verses 1 through 5. What God's Word says to women. God's Word to Women, Titus chapter 2, toward the back of your Bibles, you've got the five, you got the first, second Timothy, Thessalonians, we've got Titus in there, and at Titus chapter 2, we read these words. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate and dignified, sensible, sound in faith, love, and perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, 
to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God might not be dishonored. You'll notice that this section, this passage begins with the word but, which indicates a contrast between what was just taught in chapter one and that which is now introduced in chapter two. Chapter one deals with, if you'll turn back, with the subject of false teaching. And false teaching, simply put, in in a very simple definition, is that teaching which is in opposition to God's truth. You know, it's teaching that seems right, and I guess it's summed up best in Scripture where it says there's a way that seems right to men, but the end is destruction. It's teaching that seems right, sounds good on the surface, but when applied and lived out, it's disastrous to women. You know, that teaching that we see, much of what is taught in our world today relating to women and their responsibilities falls into that category. It seems right, it sounds good, but the results when lived out are misery, and heartbreak, pain, suffering, as the Bible describes, destruction. On the other hand, if you'll go back to chapter two, you'll notice that he says, but as for you, speaking to Titus, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Sound doctrine literally literally is translated healthy teaching. And he says that you are to continue to do this, never get tired of doing this. You can never do it too often. There's never too much repetition when it comes to teaching that which is right from God's perspective. You know, in so many areas of life, we see how discipline and repetition are so important. If you're mom and you're teaching your children, you know, the alphabet or you're teaching them arithmetic of some sort, uh, you're teaching them over and over again to repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat because there's a learning process that's involved in it. Every time that I go to the stadium, I see the exact same thing going on each and every time that I'm there. We see ground balls in the infield. We see batting practice. We see outfield. We see the same thing over and over and over again because repetition ends up instilling in that person when it's time to react or respond instantaneously, they will know what to do. It's no coincidence when you see somebody in the field make a great play because it's instinctive. At that point, they've trained and they've practiced and they've repeated over and over and over again so many times being in that situation that's the most natural thing to be able to do what they do because they practice and it leads to that. The word sound in this particular case is the same word from which we get our English word hygiene. The point that is being made in this passage is that clean, healthy teaching will lead to spiritual well-being. Just as eating certain foods are good for one's physical uh, nutrition and one's physical development, uh, we see the same thing. God's word, his truth, will result in spiritual health. To teach that which is good and hygienically correct, teach that which is clean and not perverted, that was right before God. In the passage, in this passage, we're going to learn that certain behavior befits sound doctrine and other behavior does not. The bottom line in simple terms is this, the right outlook, which is what we'll call doctrine or teaching, determines the right outcome, which we would call duty. Doctrine always precedes duty. How one thinks determines how one will act. Our beliefs are what we truly believe, and I say what we truly believe and qualify because many people will say they believe a certain thing, but they're actions indicate that what they say they believe isn't what they believe at all. 
We say that we trust God and yet we worry as if somehow God is not trustworthy. We say we believe certain things, but then we live out our life differently than what we just claimed with our mouth. And what the Bible clearly teaches that how one thinks will determine how one will act. Our belief will eventually be seen in our behavior. When I hear people say they believe certain things and their actions contradict it, what they need to recognize and understand, the objective measurement is their actions and not their words. How we live is truly what we believe, even though we sometimes will say the opposite. It's one thing to say that I believe something. It's another thing to demonstrate it in how we live out our life. And so as we look at this, when it comes to behavior, so what is the behavior that God says should be seen in the lives of women who have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin and been born again of God? And it's important that I preface that because it's impossible to live the life that God will now describe in this passage if you have not come to a point of recognizing your need for forgiveness. If you don't see what God sees about you, no matter how good you are, the Bible says that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and none of us are righteous. God points it out regularly. We may say one thing about ourselves, but our actions indicate and indict us that what God is saying about us is true. There's none of us that are perfect. Every one of us need God's forgiveness. And so the first step in a right relationship with God is recognizing our need to be forgiven and then go to him at the foot of the cross and trust that Christ died for your sins and that Jesus Christ rose from the, get, from the dead. And trusting in him, the Bible says, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved from the wrath of God for the penalty of sin. That you'll be born again by God, the will of God and not of your own efforts. That you'll become children of God to those who believe in his name. And so specifically, this passage is relating to women who have gone to the cross and sought God's forgiveness. Having trusted in Christ and his death and his resurrection, you have been born again by God. The Spirit of God now indwells you, and you are open and teachable to what it is that God has to say to you here today about the responsibilities that you have as a woman of God. And what a wonderful thing that that is. What is God's word to women as it relates to their responsibilities before God? If you'll notice from this Titus passage, you'll see that the passage addresses women in two distinct categories. Number one, older women, and number two, younger women. And that's how we'll break out the outline for our own understanding. Now, first we see in verse three that older women, likewise, and we'll talk about that in a second, the identification of older women causes a little bit of consternation on the part of those trying to identify this category. Because how do you know which one you are? Are you an older woman or a younger, younger woman? And having been there before, I'm hearing in the back of my head, danger, Will Robinson, careful, danger, dangerous territory. Be very careful, be very sensitive, and I think that before you jump to any conclusions as to what defines an older woman and talk yourself out of this category, although it was fascinating just what you guys would sell out in a second for some flowers, man. I mean, we're watching ladies that lied about their age all their life, standing up, going like this. I'm so confused because I've never admitted this, but those flowers are looking good. 
And I stood there and they took the hit. You know, what a great way to just, you know, confession's good for the soul. It'll free you up. But, but specifically as it relates to older women in biblical content and, and, and context and in cultural context, you're going to love to hear that older women, well, maybe you will, I don't know, older women are those women whose children are grown and out of the house. Now, some of you are thinking, see, praise God, mine moved back in. <laughs> no, that's not, that's not right. No, don't go there. Older women, by this definition, as it relates to what we'll discuss, are those women whose children are grown and out of the house. Younger women, by contrast, are those women who still have young children or children at home. So whatever your a chronological age is, it really doesn't make any difference at this point. Isn't that great? And still, some of you are confused. <laughs> I should be praising God, and I'm not sure. But here's the reality of it. Number one, we're going to focus on it. If you've got that outline, you can follow along with me. Um, and for those of you who are visiting, you'll have a good, clear understanding of when you can get out of here. And it's a wonderful thing, these outlines. I used to love outlines like this when somebody would invite me to church for the first time or whatever. Man, I'd just be like, how will you ever know when it's over? You know, and, and the worst preachers are those guys that they got their notes and they stand there before you and then they'll kind of flip them and they'll put it down and you'll see it going down and you see, wow, you know, you know, and there it goes down. Well, then they pick it up and they start reading off of that side that they put down and they go down this way, you know, and it's just like, it, you know, it's terrible. The, the worst ones are the ones that just keep shuffling. <laughs> you never know. I'm just going to follow this. Here we go. The responsibility of older women according to Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, but as for you... In contrast to those who teach the wrong thing, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine, healthy teaching. This will have a positive end result if those who listen to what you say will actually apply it to their lives. These are fitting. Older men are to be temperate. There we go. Same definition, fellas. If your children are out of the house, you just jumped into that category. Older men, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior. Not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine. And, and, it's, and I'm sorry, in verse 2, older men are to be temperate and dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and in perseverance. As we look at this, the important word is that it says in verse 3, older women likewise. Likewise to what? Likewise to what we just see him describing as older men. Just as older men and older women are to be temperate, the idea of temperance has to do with an attitude of mind that leads to prudence or self-control in life. Older folks, those whose children are grown and out of the home, should have an understanding of the seriousness and purpose of the Christian life. Older folks, more so than younger folks, should realize that time is short and we must make the most of it for God's sake. The Bible says that the days are evil, and we must redeem the days, for the days are short. There's no one like older people whose children are grown and now out of the home who recognize more so than younger people how quickly time flies by. Billy Graham was asked at one point to share one of the greatest truths that he'd learned about life. 
In fact, I read recently that he's in San Diego. I think it was over the 400th crusade that he's been involved in. Every country in the world, literally hundreds of millions of people he has spoke to about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he was asked on a show once if he could just share the one thing that was most surprising to him of all his life experiences. And he quickly answered, the brevity of life. The brevity of life. James writes that we are like a breath on a mirror, like a vapor. We're here one day and gone the next. The brevity of life. There is no one who understands the brevity of life more than older, mature people. And if we had to live our life over again, how many of us would say, you know what, I wasted a lot of time in the pursuit of those things that had no eternal significance whatsoever. I got sidetracked and I got caught up in the things that the world pushes and presents to us, the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, all of the things that the Bible warns about that take us off of the track of what's really important in life. And that is to, first and foremost, to come into a right relationship with our Creator through faith in Jesus Christ. And secondly, to use this lifetime in a way and in a manner that pleases God so that there will be eternal significance. Jesus said it best, and when those of us who like to pursue money, he said, hey, you know what? Hey, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven because your treasures here on earth, rust and moth will destroy and thieves will break in and steal. And when you're gone, your children will just fight over it. He says, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where it's secure in the presence of God and get a hundredfold return on that investment so that we hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. The brevity of life, those who are temperate, back to Titus chapter two, those who are temperate understand the seriousness of life. He goes on and said, not only those who are temperate, but those who are dignified or worthy of respect. The word gravity or grave comes from well-regulated habits. There's nothing more disgraceful than to see an old man indulge in youthful lusts. There's nothing more ridiculous to see than an older man driving down the street in a convertible with his shirt unbuttoned down to his belly button and jewelry hanging all over him and trying to be what he used to be 25 years ago, and the word of God says this to us who think that that is what it's all about, grow up. Grow up. Because God in his word is very clear when Paul said, you know what, when I was a child and I was a young person, I acted just like a young person. But you know what, when I got older, I put aside childish things. I guess what he's saying is in simple terms, act your age. Be worthy of respect. Be worthy of dignity. Carry yourself as a godly person to where younger people will look and see credibility in what you're about to share with them. We don't need to be 20 again. We need to learn from life's experiences so that we can use that experience to the glory of God. We live in a culture that fights aging. Everywhere else in the world, in many other countries, those who are elderly are put on a platform, a pedestal, and they're looked up to, and they're honored and respected. 
In our culture, we fight it every step along the way. I may be getting older, the bumper sticker says, but I refuse to grow up. The Word of God says, grow up. In fact, it goes on to say, be sensible, meaning have spiritual common sense. Live a life and have your behavior equate to that person that has spiritual common sense and not foolishness. To be sound in faith. To know what you believe. Don't you think it's realistic to recognize the fact that the longer that we walk with the Lord, the more we should know about Him and our faith and what we believe? Don't you think there's an irony to the fact that if you've come to faith in Christ when you're 20 and now you're 50 and you still don't have questions that should have been answered years ago in your walk with God, that by that point in time you've had 30 years to develop a walk with the Lord and understand spiritual truth and to get into the Word of God? There's no excuse for that. Don't you think by then you should have those questions answered so that you can turn around and give those answers to those young people who are following in your footsteps wanting to know? There's no excuse for that other than apathy or laziness, and there's no excuse for it other than the fact that you say certain things, but you really don't believe what you're saying because you don't spend any time or effort to study the Word of God. To be spiritually sensible, to be sound in faith and in love, to know what the Bible says about love. Read 1 Corinthians 13, go through the Word of God. I'm, gonna, I'm supposed to be sensible in love? Well, love is kind, love is patient. Love doesn't seek its own. It doesn't act unbecomingly. Love doesn't take into an account a wrong that's suffered and hold grudges against people. It's so sad to see older people who live their life with bitterness and anger and hatred holding grudges for things that happened years ago. Let it go. Grow up in your faith, sound in love and in perseverance. Fight the good fight. Be steadfast and movable. You got a younger generation that looks up to you and says, how did you get through this time in your marriage when this was going on? How did you get through this time in, in your marriage when these financial things took place and, you know, and, and your job changed or you were being forced to decide whether you would transfer and move to another state and away from everything that's important to you for the sake of chasing a dollar? Help me, sir. Help me, ma'am. How did you deal with this? How did you deal with this when your children went another direction than the one that you hoped that they would go? You trained up your children in the way of the Lord, and yet at the same time they made choices that violated everything that you taught them. How did you deal with that? There's got to be somebody out there that can help. And the answer is found right here. And so what we're being told that is in addition, older women, those whose children are grown in God, in addition to being temperate and dignified and sensible and sound in faith and love and in perseverance like older men, older women also are to be reverent in their behavior. Number one, they will be a godly example. Ladies, you are to be a godly example to the next generation. Reverent in behavior, it's a combination of Greek words and it carries the idea of seeing something that is fitting or appropriate to that which is sacred. As you grow older, your life must be fitting to that which is important to God and his purposes. Is your life fitting to that which is sacred? As others look at your life, is, it, it, do they see a godly woman whose purposes fit the importance of God's purposes. 
Does your behavior reflect a godly example of what is fitting of a Christian woman? The danger for women like that of men is refusing to age gracefully. Ladies, there's nothing more ridiculous than to see a lady in her 50s or 60s trying to dress like, you know, Christina Aguilera. It's bad enough when we're dealing with our kids not to dress like that. There's nothing more, you know, ridiculous than to see that. Age gracefully, with dignity, recognizing you got young people following in their footsteps, and if all they see is how much you hate your life, they have nothing to look forward to. Think about it from a Christian perspective. You know, there was a day where if, you know, if I saw people who hated to go to church and I hadn't come to faith in Christ, that's not a real attractive invitation to me. When you're talking to your neighbors or your friends or your coworkers or whatever, and they say, what are you doing this weekend? What do you say? Man, I can't wait to get together in the community of God's people to worship God and be instructed from the word of God and to spend time together in communion with one another. I can't wait. How many people have been asked at work, what are you doing this weekend? And you have hesitated and not only hesitated, you have not even told them anything about your walk with the Lord. God, help us. Forgive us. It's a great platform. It's a great opportunity. One of the greatest things about getting that World Series ring is everywhere I go, the thing's so huge. There's like a glare that comes off my hand. People are going, is that a World Series ring? How did you get it? Well, let me tell you. It's great. It's so, it's awesome. But today's Mother's Day, thus the wedding ring is back on. So, you know, (laughs) got my priorities straight. See, older man, sensible. Preach it, brother. But it's an opportunity. It's a, that godly behavior. And, 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 and notice this. Well, there's two things that are not true of a godly woman and should not be true of you if you have come to faith in Christ. Number one, older women are to be reverent in their behavior, as I said, a godly example, and not to be malicious gossips. The greatest danger of children moving out of the house is that there's a whole bunch more time that you have on your hands that you didn't have before. And the danger is this, to sit around and complain about everything and everybody and to be, as we used to say in our old Polish neighborhood back in Pittsburgh, to become a Badinsky. To become a Badinsky. You know what? Involved in everybody else's life. Micromanaging everybody else's life because, you know what? Frankly, you got too much time on your hands. Not to be a malicious gossip. Not to be saying and spreading those things that are damaging or, you know, or destructive. But only to share those words which are edifying and good for that moment. To build up. To be kind. To be tender-hearted. Malicious gossips. Did you hear about that? Can you believe they're doing that? I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they do that. You know what? Hey, find a more productive use of your time because that's just flat out wrong before God. And the second thing he says is, and, not, and also not become enslaved to much wine. One of the fastest growing problems in our culture are older people 
who become alcoholics or addicted to prescription drugs. And you begin to lean on those things for comfort and soothing, you know, to soothe the pain of, you know what, man. It's like, I, you know, I learned when we dropped our youngest daughter, the only one that's not married, when we dropped her off at college and, and we were driving home. And man, I was just singing praise songs. <laughs> just me and you, baby. This is great. Yeah, I was looking forward to it. And I looked over and she was weeping. It sent me a mixed message. I was just looking forward to just me and you, baby. And she was going, it's just me and you, baby. <laughs> Thus, I'm starting to get really paranoid. I'm thinking that standing ovation that she got. It was like, what's up with that? What's the message here? What's being said? You know, enslaved to much wine on a very serious note. The Bible says a godly example is a woman who will trust in the Lord with all of her heart and not lean on anything else but Jesus Christ as her strength, as her rock, as her foundation. You don't need a glass of wine to get through the day. You don't need to pop a couple pills to anesthetize you over what's going on. If you know Jesus, he says, cast all your cares upon him and that he'll care for you. On a positive note, number two is that we're told that older women will provide good communication. Good communication in verse three very simply is teaching what is good. What is good is that which is intrinsically good before God. There are some things that are bad. There are some things that are good. There are some things that are right. There are some things that are wrong. And older women are to teach those things that are intrinsically good before God. Ethics and morals, virtue, and just being older doesn't qualify one as this kind of teacher. You are to teach that which is good. An ignorant statement to ever share with a younger person is, you know what, I'm older, I've been there, I've done that. You know what, that doesn't mean anything if it's not tempered by the principles of Scripture. I'm older, I've been there, I've done that, I've seen God in this situation before. And here's what I would encourage you to do. Here's what I would encourage you to say. And here is the scriptural foundation for that which I want to share with you. Let's turn to those passages and read those and examine those and study those together. And then you pray about what God would have you do in those situations. Teaching what is good. Which leads to, number three, the responsibility of the older women. They will realize a great purpose. A great purpose in verse 4, notice it says, so that they may encourage the young women. What's the purpose of getting older, ladies? So that you can encourage young women. So that you can hand the baton to the next generation who will carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to those that God brings into their life. The greatest purpose for us all is to be messengers of the, of the love of God to the world. To warn them of the wrath and the judgment of God, and yet at the same time to recognize that, you know what, God loves us anyway. We're ambassadors for Christ. That God is in Christ reconciling the world to himself, and it's a free gift so that none of us could ever boast and is offered to any who will come to him in humility and ask for forgiveness of sin. 
One of the things, and you know if you've been there as your children have grown and gone, one of the struggles that many older women have, people that are in that category, is now, what is my purpose? What is my purpose? Why am I here? For the last 20, 25, so many years, I poured my life into my kids, and now, can you believe it? They believe that biblical passage of leaving and cleaving. They left, they started their own family, and before you know it, they got so involved in their own family and their own lives and their own children that all we have time to do is sit around and be bitter at them because they haven't called, they haven't stopped over, they haven't been this, they haven't done that, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Look, isn't that what you were training them to do in the way that they should go? How should they go? God's way. What's God's way? If you get married, leave your father and your mother and cleave to your wife. The two become one flesh. You establish your own family. You pour your life into one another and your children, and you start the process all over again. So why would any older woman be bitter towards a family that that's what they've been training them, according to Scripture, to do? But we do anyway, don't we? I'm not calling them. I'm waiting for them to call me. I called last time. Why do we got to go visit? Because you got more time on your hands. You go visit. Think about it. Why can't they visit us? Because they got soccer and they got baseball and they got basketball and they got cheerleading and they got, you know, they got the choir and they got church and they got all these things that are going on. That's why. What do you got to do? Complain? Complain on the drive over. <laughs> you got time. Man. This is so simple. But so hard. Because God's opposed to the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. See, so you humble yourselves. The great purpose is that they may encourage young women. That's the purpose, ladies. Older people, older men encourage younger men. Older women encourage younger women. One of the sad realities of, uh, of grown children is that for many moms, there's no sense or of purpose any longer. Things change. The great purpose of older women, encourage younger women. And listen, it's not restricted to just your own children. One of the great tragedies of our culture and one of the great burdens that I have for us as a church is that we will find some way to create an environment where our older folks can spend time with our younger folks. Every church that I see ships the older people off in a corner somewhere and just let them do their activities or whatever they want to do and that will not happen here. I want to see older women and older men be willing and ready and able to volunteer their time to mentor younger people and teach them God's ways. We call it mentoring. We're going to start a program called womentoring. We're going to do both. We're going to do both. 
And next week when we get together back at the Elks, I want to encourage you, and we'll, have, we'll facilitate it in some way, but I want older people whose children are grown and gone to make yourselves available to meet with younger people who are still dealing with their families so that you can begin to pour your life into them and become a godly example who provides good communication, teaching that which is right, because the great purpose is, listen, folks, you and I have got to pass the baton along to the next generation. And while we're talking about this, I'm going to bring up something very sensitive, but at the same time, when has that ever stopped me before? <laughs> and that is this. The stability of our church are our older people. The future of our church are our younger people. And we have got to find a way to get along. Amen. And one of the great divisive things in any church is the worship music. J. Vernon McGee said it best. He said, you know what? When Satan was kicked out of heaven, he landed in the choir loft. <laughs> so I will just say to you, with all that being said, be patient, be kind, be loving, because we need to learn to get along with one another. Teaching younger women specifically to come to their senses, to be sound-minded about life as seen from God's perspective. The inference is that young women and young wives are sometimes not sensible about their responsibilities to husband, children, and home. It carries the idea that the older women are the ones responsible to train younger women by their lives and by their lips, their conduct and their creed, their doctrine and their duty, their beliefs and their behavior. It is not my responsibility as a male pastor to counsel younger women. It is your responsibility as older women to counsel younger women. It is my responsibility as an older man whose children are grown and out of the home to be available to counsel younger men. I'm currently meeting with three different men, one-on-one, -on -one, individually, to pour my life into them and the foundation of our time together is the word of God. What did you do when this happened? How would you handle this? If you were asked this question, what would you say? And it all comes from the word of God. It really doesn't matter what I say, but here's what I learned from my relationship and time in the Lord, with the Lord and my time in the word of God. Here's what I would encourage you to study. Here's what God would have you to say. But at the end of the day, you still have to choose whether you'll be obedient or not. See, it concerns me that there's not that interaction, and we're going to do everything we can to make sure we facilitate that. But for now, in putting all this together, what should older women teach younger women? You know, is it the type of things that one young woman writes about what she learned from her mother, for example? She said, my mom, you know what? She taught me logic. She said things to me like, if you fall off that swing and break your neck, you can't go to the store with me tonight. <laughs> really? You know, that, you, can't, you can't buy that kind of advice. She taught me medicine. If you don't stop crossing your eyes, they're going to freeze that way. <laughs> she taught me to think ahead. If you don't pass your spelling test, you'll never get a good job. She taught me ESP. She said, you know what? Put your sweater on. Don't you think I know when you're cold? <laughs> wow, how'd you know that? She taught me to meet a challenge. What were you thinking? Answer me when I talk to you. Don't talk back to me. <laughs> how do you do that? She taught me humor, like when she told my brother, when that lawnmower cuts off your toes, don't you come running to me. 
You know, it's, it's, it's all of those things. My mother taught me about the wisdom of age. When you get to my age, you understand. My mother taught me about anticipation when she would say, you just wait till your father gets home. <laughs> and she taught me about justice. One day, one day, you will have kids. <laughs> and I hope they turn out just like you. On a serious note, let's go down through it. What is God's word to women as it relates to what he expects older women to teach younger women? Here we go. The responsibilities are these. Number one, older women are to teach younger women that they are to have a loving relationship to their husband and their children. You're to love your husband. I always like to say partnership precedes parenthood. That means this, your husband, after your relationship with the Lord, your husband comes first before your children, your careers, your hobbies, your friends, everything. All too often I counsel men who sense that they're good for only one thing, and that is a paycheck. I hear guys make jokes like, I feel like my only purpose is I'm like an ATM machine. I just stand along the side of the wall, and they come by, and I just hand it out, and that's the end of our relationship and our interaction. There's a bitterness and there's an anger that begins to boil up and that's what causes men to start looking at other places and other areas that I don't condone and the word of God doesn't, but I can understand how those things happen. And what you're encouraged, what you're encouraged younger women to do is to love your husband. Don't neglect your husband's need for your companionship. The word actually that's used here to love your husband is philea, which means Philadelphia. We get our English word, Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. It means to love your husband as a friend. The whole purpose of marriage is companionship for a lifetime. The purpose of marriage is that you would compliment him from the standpoint of providing those things in his life that he doesn't have, that you have, that as the two become one flesh, you balance them out. He is to be your best friend. Many men, if they're honest, don't have many friends. You're his best friend. And you need to work at being his best friend. You need to treat him as if he was your best friend. Treat him the same way you would treat your female friends. To love him, to be his helpmate, to be his friend, to be there as a companion. Your responsibility, ladies, is to love your husband before your children. That's why so many people, they, you know, when their children are they're done rearing their children, they move out, all of a sudden you see people 20 years, 25 years into a marriage getting divorced. Why? Because they haven't developed their relationship for 25 years. They've put it on hold for the sake of the kids. Let me tell you something. Partnership precedes parenthood. When the cycle is over, it's just the two of you again, and you better be developing your relationship throughout that whole period of time because it'll be the two of you once again. If you do what God calls you to do, and that is to, to, to rear up your children so they become less dependent on you and totally dependent upon God. Date nights, keep them going. Vacation time, keep it going. When our children were little, we were fortunately worked in a business where we got to go on free trips. Every year, our kids were asking us ahead of time, where are you going this year? They couldn't wait till we were gone. 
And again, as we're flying, I'm praising, singing praise songs, and I look over and Linda's crying. <laughs> Man, we need help. But it was like, you know, and I'm thinking, good, they'll be all right. That's great, but they're going to miss me. Yeah, but you know what? It's our time. That's the best. Right, fellas? Preach it, brother. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we need to look at that. And also, at word to young women and their children, you're also to love your children as a friend. And, and, and I want to share something with you that you need to take into serious consideration. Ladies, you need to learn to become a friend who teaches and not a dictator who demands. You need to spend time explaining why or why not from God's perspective. And sometimes it gets frustrating because we don't know why. And when they say why, then we look real stupid, but we're not supposed to be stupid because we're their parents and we're supposed to know things. And when they ask why and we don't have an answer, we get all frustrated, frustrated, flustered, and say, because. Brilliant. Brilliant. Hey, you know what? Learn to teach and not be a dictator who demands. Because a dictator who demands plants seeds of rebellion in the heart of your children. Teach them God's truth. And then step back and allow them to experience their own walk with God. Older women, number two, should teach younger women to have a right response to every person in every situation. Notice that. To love their husbands, love their children. There it is again. To be sensible. To have spiritual common sense. To be pure. To be pure. It has the idea of sexual purity. Older women are to teach younger women to very carefully consider how they dress. How they dress. As one of God's children, don't dress like a cheap hooker looking to attract the wrong kind of guy. And I know that's the biggest tension in homes when moms try to tell their children you're not going out looking like that. Young people, listen to what they have to say. They know. They see the danger. God's word talks of the danger. And we're to warn, don't go that way. But all my friends are doing it. There's a way that seems right. But the end is destruction. Doesn't matter what all your friends are doing. You're not to be conformed to this world. You're to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you would know what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Number three, young women are to have a high regard for your home. A high regard for your home, to be workers at home. When you have a chance, read Proverbs 31. Read Proverbs 7. A high regard for your home. Not to neglect your home. It's a matter of priorities. Not to be lazy, but to be disciplined. You know, it's amazing today how severely the home is put down and disparaged in modern society. It's like offensive if a woman says, well, my goal is to grow up and to marry a godly man and to be a homemaker. And the world goes, don't you have higher aspirations than that? 
There is no higher goal. There is no greater purpose than to instill Christ in a godly generation that's to carry the torch into the world. Some of the greatest men and women of God were those who sat at the the feet of their parents who taught them about Jesus. And the truth of God's word, the Wesleys come to mind who sat at the feet of their mom. We think and go through in Titus and, and Timothy, and Timothy sat at the feet of his mom and his grandmother and learned great spiritual truth. We make jokes about women who go to college and say, what is her major? And they say, well, she's probably just going to get her MRS degree. What's wrong with that? We need to hold families in high regard as the Word of God does. There is no, don't, ladies, don't ever let anybody denigrate you when you say to them that you are a stay-home mom because there's no greater responsibility There is no greater joy. There is no greater privilege in spite of the piles of diapers, in spite of all the garbage that goes on, in spite of all the work that's related to it. There is no greater calling for young women than to stay home and be there for your children in that age and that that limited window of opportunity before they start going to school. There's nothing greater than that. And we need older women to tell younger women what a joy and blessing it is and to stop listening to the lies of the false teachers of our world. The word of God is clear. And lastly, no, number four, and we want to skip over this one, younger women are to have a sincere respect for your husband. Ah. You know, this is an area where the philosophy of the world is bent on undermining the creative order. Just watch television and see how dad or the husband is continually portrayed as a bumbling idiot, not worthy of respect, and certainly not to be in submission under. Yet the Bible is very clear that women, wives, are to be submissive to their own husbands. That's the structure that God has created. And it doesn't mean that you are to be a dictator, buddy. You know, and, and, and it's kind of like, you know how it is. Women be submissive to your husband. Yeah, preach it, brother. It's like, well, what, is, what do you think that means? You're to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And if you love her sacrificially, if you give yourself up for her, if you consider her needs more important than yours, and you consider her your greatest priority outside of your relationship with Christ, then guess what? She won't have any difficulty submitting to your leadership in your home. But if you start jacking her around and putting her under your thumbs and start manipulating Scripture to tell, say what it doesn't say, then I don't blame her, but yet at the same time, here's the struggle, and that's this. Who goes first? Fellas, do we wait for our wives to respect and submit to us before we start to love them as Christ loved the church? The answer is no, because it really doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. You be obedient. You be obedient, and everything else falls into place. And lastly, we will close with this. Be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands. Notice that the word of God may not be dishonored. 
You know, one of the greatest problems in the early church was that many women came to faith in Christ long before their husbands. And I don't think it's much different in our culture today. And what happens is you got these women who have come to faith in Christ and want to live a godly life. And you know what? And frankly, it's really hard to submit and respect and love someone who's not lovable. But do not ever use your walk with the Lord to be your excuse to not respect and submit and love your husband. 1 Peter 3 says that, you know what? Many men have been won to Christ by the respectful and chaste behavior of their wife who continued to love him when he frankly wasn't very lovable. But that type of unconditional love is a perfect reflection of a God who says, while you and I were yet sinners, he sent Christ to die for us. I have seen women who have endured very difficult marriages because they did not want to profane the gospel of Jesus Christ so that the gospel was not discredited because of your unwillingness to be obedient. Older women are to teach younger women. Older men are to teach younger men. In closing, I came across a a poem in John Killinger's book entitled Lost in Wonder, Love and Praise. It includes the following, and you may notice as you walk out or if you've got it now, but one of the young women of our church wrote a poem for you as a gift today. This is not the poem, but there's one that's there, and I want to close with this. I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, who was born of the promise to a virgin named Mary. I believe in the love that Mary gave her son that caused her to follow him in his ministry and stand by his cross as he died. I believe in the love of all mothers and its importance in the lives of the children they bear. It is stronger than steel and softer than down more resilient than a green sapling on the hillside. It closes wounds and melts disappointments and enables the weakest child to stand tall and straight in the fields of adversity. I believe that this is love, even at its best. And I believe that this love, even at its best, is only a shadow of the love of God, a dark reflection of all that we can expect of Him, both in this life and the next. And I believe that one of the most beautiful sights in the world is a mother who lets this greater love flow through her to her child. Blessing the world with the tenderness of her touch and the tears of her joy. Happy Mother's Day. God bless you. Let's stand together and celebrate. Sing, come.